But let me tell you about Metal Gear Solid 4. Oh my god. I, I'll never forget the first time I watched him on stream. And, like, he was okay at first. I think it was for, like, VR missions. And then things just kind of quietly, but somehow loudly, also went downhill. Yeah. I don't, I don't remember which game it was. The, you know what that reminds me of? You know that meme of, like, that guy in the stadium with, like, the sunglasses and his arm is around, like, the shoulder of the girl? And, like, the meme is, like, let me tell you about, like, X subject. And, like, she's clearly not oh, interested, yeah. but he's going, like, you know, <laughs> he's not stopping. It reminds me of that. <laughs> that image is the perfect representation of my marriage. <laughs> it's just nonstop complaining about Metal Gear. And for some reason, I'm still married. I was going to say, if you replace, like, just Metal Gear with Metal Gear Solid 4 and your wife with me and fingers. That's the podcast. That's it. That's the podcast. Yep. Hey, I'm Fingers. Hey, everyone. This is Days Ahead. And I'm Nitroid. You're listening to the Kojima Frequency. You know, what's great about it, though, is that she has heard me rant about this so much that if necessary, she can jump in and play interference. Has she actually like, played all the games, though, with you or has she seen them? Um, Yeah, to a disgusting degree. Yeah. And what's really annoying is that she's better at MGS5 than I am. Yeah. Wow. I'm sorry. Metal Gear Solid V, because I got yelled at the last time I said five. <laughs> you know who you're going to get yelled at for saying V. <laughs> yep. Well, do you say Grand Theft Auto V? Because it's also written within the Roman numeral, isn't it? Ooh. Absolutely not. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't know. The whole V thing with Venom and I don't know. It, it was just, you can call it whatever. I don't care. Five for Vendetta. MGSV rolls off the, the tongue pretty good. But if they ever did a Metal Gear Solid 6, would they go back to Arabic numerals or would they do uh, Roman numerals? Or would they even call it Metal Gear Solid 6 because it's not even with Kojima anymore? Metal they Gear would Solid put, Vi. They would put the six and one of the O's. No. Bring back Viper. Hmm. Well, maybe they don't even call it Metal Gear Solid. They might call it Metal Gear something else so they could like di- differentiate it from the Kojima games. Hopefully, that's that's the way it goes. Uh, I, I think just continuing to go on this canon, you know, I mean, we could do like the in-between stuff, but yeah, just kind of having like an offshoot. I don't know. Last time with Survive, that didn't work out so great, but I appreciated it. I have a theory about Survive. I've actually never played it. It came out, what, four years ago already? Or three years ago? Yeah, it's, I mean, it, it exists. It's okay. You can take it or leave it. You know, I've played every uh, canon Metal Gear game and a few of the spinoffs like, uh, you know, Spable and all that. But I, I, there's a few of those those have like slipped through the cracks. I've never played those. I just think that they knew that nothing they would do would be received warmly. So they just kind of used it as an excuse to say, okay, let's make something goofy and low risk to get the negativity out of the way. And we'll just do what we want. I get not much of a theory. I thought it was going to be some deep shit. Like Kojima was involved at the beginning, but I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I, uh, as soon as that game, or at least I understood the gameplay that came out, I was just like, okay, this is a game that when it gets on steam, steam sale, I'm going to buy it. I'm going to enjoy it. And then I'm going to message like my other friends drunk and be like, we all need to get drunk and play this together and it'll be worth everybody's $15. So I, I, I don't think it's as bad as people thought it would be. 
I mean, that's pretty much what happened to us at launch. <laughs> but uh, I think, yeah. Well, I mean, the idea of a Metal Gear game in, in between the two segments, I, that sounds interesting. But uh, I think if you're accept, uh, expecting something deep, you'd be disappointed. Yeah, and that's the thing. I, I kind of was like going into it like a B-movie. I was like, all right, cool. This will be some fun. Like, this this won't matter. This won't be canon or anything. So let's just see what this game's about and what it offers as a game. And that's how I enjoyed it, because I think that's how you're supposed to enjoy stuff. But Yeah, but if know. you do that, then you can't get outraged about it. And then what yeah. are you going to tweet angrily about? It just, it doesn't work. I mean, you got to make YouTube money. As someone who appreciates historical context, uh, it's so hard to pick a side here. Yeah, I mean, people were pissed off. I mean, that's, you know, I think that's really the reason is just everybody was still just mad about the the split. And what, whatever they put out, whether it have, you know, had been the best Metal Gear game that, you know, was ever made, it wouldn't have mattered. Oh, definitely. It, it, it would have been met with like, Nah, you did our boy wrong. Fuck you. You know, that's that's it's, basically how people have been thinking. It's like being mad at acid, though. But it's also kind of like the Skylar effect is because, like, we're, like, <laughs> we're watching it from, like, Kojima's point of view, and we're only, like, seeing his, you know, like, yeah. yeah. But Kojima did some shady shit, too, you know, that's documented and and then stuff that's alleged. So it's just, I can, I can see why the split happened. I get it. Today on the show, coming to us live from Kyoto, Japan, we have Oliver Ja, graduate student of international relations, researcher on Japan DPRK relations, the social media editor for NK News, a website focused on North Korea, and a lifelong Kojima fan. How's it going today, buddy? Yeah, very good. Thanks for having me on. Pleasure to be with you. Yeah, you know, I'm glad we finally got to have a proper conversation because you and I have been talking back and forth about Metal Gear and all sorts of things for, God, how long now? He's one of the, uh, Oliver is one of the more knowledgeable people about Kojima's work that I've had the opportunity to talk to. And uh, yeah, just the, the amount of things that you have uh, been involved in, the life you've lived so far is, is crazy impressive to me as someone in my 30s who has done less than half of what you've done. <laughs> so I'm just going to make you uncomfortable right off the bat. <laughs> yeah, well, I still haven't written the uh, great American novel yet, and I still haven't directed uh, the greatest film of all time. So, uh, you know, not quite there yet. God, you got to get on that. Come on. Yeah, or- Orson Welles was, I think, so Orson Welles was, like, I think, 27 when he uh, did Citizen Kane. And uh, Brady Stanellis was 21 when he wrote Less Than Zero. So uh, got a got a, a big competition ahead. Nas yeah. was 19 when he wrote Illmatic. I'm just saying. Well, how, how old was Alexander <laughs> the Great when uh, he did his Conquest, too? So. How old? Well, people were dying at like thirty. Uh, how old was Kojima uh, when he started work on Metal Gear? It's something I'm not familiar with. Uh, anybody know? Late twenties, thirties, early thirties, something around there. Hmm. Late, I want to say twenties, but God, you asked me that too quick. Now I don't know. Yeah. Uh, well, it's a bit of a tangent, but I think uh, Masahiro Sakurai was, I think, nineteen when he designed Kirby. So um, I guess it, it depends. Like, you know, how exactly do you find working on? Are you talking about like concepts or actually being part of Konami or being part of uh, you know a team? So I'm sure a lot of these people were thinking of uh, their game designs when they were much younger. Yeah. And when he started, anyway, he wasn't anywhere near what he's become since then, because you know they gave him a job and were like, "Hey, this is a project. Make a game." These are the stipulations. Go. Like, it wasn't anything resembling what it has become. It wasn't a big industry. It was just uh, another product to sell. You made me think of, like, uh, when, like, they sold the NES with Rob, and I think they were, like, counting on Rob to sell the console. They thought that Rob would be the more attractive element of the combo. 
And now, like, who the fuck cares about Rob other than Rob Mains? <laughs> Rob Mains. Well, speaking of that, I got a twin Famicom this year, uh, modded to, for RGB. So I've been uh, going through all those early uh, 8-bit games from uh, early 80s. So uh, it's quite a trip, you know, uh, playing having them actually like in physical cartridge form and also disc form. And, uh, you know, not emulators or anything on actual hardware. Nice. That's tight. That always makes such a big difference, too. Even emulated well, it, there's always little timing differences, visual differences yeah. that stand out. That's the thing I've heard from the speedrun community mainly. It's like there's just these tiny little timing differences. Just on, like, no matter how fast your computer is, it's just not doing it the same way the console would. Yeah, I also got an OSSE unit so I can hook it up to my 4K TV and make it uh, look all nice. But uh, I've also uh, decided I want to go for a complete Famicom disk system set because uh, it's a, a system that's not really covered that much, I think, uh, outside of Japan. And then even within Japan, it's not super popular. And also they're very small, they're very easy to store, and there's only about 200 games and uh, nothing too expensive, really. So uh, that's my uh, long-term uh, goal as a retro game collector. So what is... um. You kind of lost me there. Is that that's not the standard Famicom? Uh, no, because so in uh, Japan you have so you have the cartridges, which is the normal Famicom. But then Nintendo released an add-on called the Famicom Disk System, and it was released at a time to try to make games cheaper for the consumer because the uh, discs were they're, they're on like sort of like floppy discs, very similar to them. So um, those were cheaper to produce and cheaper to sell. And actually, you could uh, rewrite these discs so you could take them to kiosks at like uh, electronic stores, uh, insert like the disc into the kiosk. It would delete the game and then uh, rewrite it to a new game, and that was also super super cheap so um yeah that that lasted for pretty much i think uh almost 10 years i think but about 200 of those were released on the disc system but that was never released in america or europe oh that's crazy i never knew about that the thing is is like when you buy these discs it might not actually be what it says on the label because these are rewritable you might be getting a completely different game and also there's you can have up to two games on uh, each disc oh that sounds like a nightmare for game preservation (laughs) it is about like a copy of for example volleyball which is a very uh, early uh, launch game for a sports launch game on uh, famicom a famicom disc system but on the other side i didn't even realize this until i got home uh uh, there was a copy of othello on there so you uh run into stuff like that (laughs) (laughs) yeah what a nice surprise. So I got to ask you, um, just kind of steering this back into Metal Gear and, and your experience. You know, on social media, you tend to focus a lot on international politics, specifically with regards to North Korea. And, you know, you're very well read in terms of history. Was, uh, I guess, how does how does your interest in Kojima's work and Metal Gear sort of tie into your love of of, you know, Asian studies, North Korea? everything in that realm like is there would you say there's a there's a tie there or these interests that kind of exist in separate continuums for you uh, well, I think there's definitely like a, there, there is definitely a tie between both. Uh, you know, it's kind of a meme at this point, but they say you learn about the Cold War through uh, Metal Gear Solid Three if you're a certain age. <laughs> so, oh uh, fuck. Yeah. Well, I, I wouldn't say that's like completely how I learned about the the Cold War, obviously, but because like you know, if, if you're a certain age, you know, you're learning about all these like uh, you know references to political events, to like you know nuclear uh, nuclear weapons and all that. Uh, it is stuff you don't really see that much in that kind of depth compared to other video games. So, uh, well, to rewind to go. Back, to go back even further, the first time I had any experience with Metal Gear was actually Super Smash Brothers Brawl in uh, 2008. I think I would have been. You're kidding me. That is such an interesting perspective. Holy because shit. I would have, well, keep in mind, I was born in uh, 1997, so I would have been uh, 10 or 11 when that came out. So t- kind of too young to play Metal Gear, and I never had any PlayStation console. But then in uh, Smash Brothers, I see Snake and it says, Oh, who's this character? Why, why does he look so uh, real, uh, quote unquote, compared to all these <laughs> other characters? <laughs> 
So uh, yeah, that's that's how I got introduced to Metal Gear. But because uh, I didn't have a PlayStation, uh, I could only watch really uh, gameplay videos. I did get the Twin Snakes later on, and uh, maybe we'll get into that. But whoa. Whoa. So yeah, what actually happened, and this is the complete wrong way to get into Metal Gear. I would not recommend anybody do this. I watched like long play walkthroughs of every single Metal Gear game on YouTube. Just I spent weeks doing that, but I didn't go in the year that the games came out. I went in the chronological order. So from Metal Gear Solid 3 Oof. until Metal Gear Solid 4. Don't do that. If you're yeah. if you're listening to this and you want to get into Metal Gear, do not do that. <laughs> but yeah, that's how I got into Metal Gear. But then later on, when I actually when the HD collection came out to Xbox 360, that was like you know, uh, wow, I can't believe I can actually finally play these games now, even though I know everything that's going to happen. But I can actually play them now. You know, this is uh, this is telling me two things. First, um, that it it really doesn't matter how you get into. Metal Gear or Kojima's games, uh, as long as you have enough of an interest to sort of dive into the deep waters. Um, I've got a friend, I've mentioned him before, but he started with Metal Gear Solid 4 and sort of used that as a springboard to learn about everything else in in Kojima's, uh, I don't know, you, you couldn't really call it a filmography. What would you call that? A gameography? I don't know what you'd call it. Uh- a discography since like they're mostly on disc but i don't know he ended up becoming someone so knowledgeable that i uh often go to him for answers on on the more technical aspects of these things so there's really no wrong way to get into it though there there i would say are more ideal ways as you sort of alluded to and two uh, the second thing I've learned from this is that we have got to get some older guests because I'm feeling old as hell right now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When he said you're born in '97, yep, he was like a little baby on his mom's lap when he was uh, when Metal Gear One came out. I was. Uh, Four years old when Metal Gear 1 came out. To be fair, when I actually did go uh, back and play the games, I did go in the order that they did come out. And that's actually starting with uh, Metal Gear, or the 8-bit Metal Gear game. And uh, I played that on an MSX2 emulator. So, uh, yeah, that was... Uh, I try to tell people to, you know, if you can and if you you have like a tolerance for old games, go back and actually do start with the 8-bit games, not just Metal Gear Solid. Yeah, because you're getting like all the references that are like definitely placed there intentionally that are just nodding back to the previous games. And it's like... You, you'll get the story, but it just the way it's delivered, it's it's kind of like in a cheeky way where you're like, ah, I see what you're doing here. Like it's 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 definitely better to do release order, I'd say. But d- yeah, like Nitro had said, it really doesn't matter. You you can come in from anywhere. So you'll be all right. So I'm wondering, um, you uh, not too long ago moved from the United States to Japan. Uh, you're studying abroad, correct? Yes. How has that sort of changed your perspective on these games? Uh, I mean, I'm assuming you you understood Japanese long before you moved to Japan, so you had been more uh, familiar with the other side of this, so to speak. Uh, yeah, well, I did major in Japanese, so uh, just for some context. So I, uh, Japanese was my major back at university, and uh, I studied abroad in Japan for the first time when I was a junior, and that was for uh, 15 months, which is, I think, uh, quite longer than the average person studies abroad. But that uh, 
time spent here that pretty much inspired me. Well, I want to come back now. I want to uh, do uh, graduate school here. So um, that's what I did last year. But uh, well, the, the biggest influence on uh, video games just as a whole is because I'm in the heart of it at all. There's like so many uh, retro game stores and also so, such so much of this like stuff that like I really wanted to play consoles. I wanted to when I was a, a younger kid, I can actually get them now and I can get them without any kind of restrictions. I don't have to worry about, you know, what was localized, what was released, uh, you know, in my country. I can it's it's all here. So the access to having it, uh, you know, that's certainly one plus. But uh, with the context of Metal Gear, uh, the only Metal Gear game that I've played the whole way through in Japanese is Metal Gear Solid 1 on uh, PlayStation 1. So uh, it is interesting to see, um, you know, what was translated, how, what they adapted from the Japanese to the English. But uh, I think the biggest takeaway is that, well, Metal Gear is pretty much it's like an anime <laughs> in Japanese, essentially. It's all the same voice actors <laughs> from, you know, uh, famous voice actors from a lot of old anime uh, series from that era. And uh, the way that they localized it, uh, they kept some of the anime-esque vibes to it, but they did uh, certainly try to, like, uh, westernize it more to, I think, appeal to a wider audience. But I also think that worked in its favor because these are all, you know, for the most part, Western characters. Yeah. I guess I guess the the wider question I was trying to allude to there was um not just with regards to Metal Gear but how much would you say in terms of media that has come from Japan to the West uh has lost uh context uh in that transfer you know how how much is being misunderstood or missed uh in the West as a result of that 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 localization process. Uh, well, I think one example that comes to mind is, uh, you know, it, it, how people sort of make fun of snake and, you know, for repeating the same thing that other people say. And uh, so there's two theories about this. The one theory is that it's sort of like a military, militarist way of like, you know, just repeating the information to make sure that you got it. But if you look at like the way that like sort of Japanese people talk, there's sort of like a back channeling going on. It's uh, very common in the Japanese language to sort of repeat like the last word of what someone else said and just to prove that you're listening. So I think it was a mixture of both, but, for stuff like that when people say that like you know the dialogue in Metal Gear is like awkward or it feels stiff or not natural I think that's just a result of like how they tried to translate it and how they tried to put all this information so that's uh you know accessible from Japanese to English okay yeah and I know like in the west uh, a lot of people who play games or watch anime tend to romanticize Japan quite a bit uh you know and you sort of mentioned how that that sort of grinds on you a bit uh, yeah, it does. But I mean, to be fair, there's a lot of uh, people over here too that romanticize the West because they get their entire uh, image of that from Hollywood movies, from you know TV shows. Uh, there's actually a word called Paris syndrome, where especially for uh, Japanese women to like fashion and like you know uh, food and all that kind of stuff, they have the, this like really idealistic image of Paris. But then when they go to Paris and they actually realize you know all, you know what actually France is, they kind of have like a mental breakdown. They didn't expect it to be this way. So oh my gosh, yeah, it's pretty funny. If you look up Paris syndrome it's a real thing so are there like we've we've got people in the u.s who are enormous anime fans so does are there people in japan who are similarly like i don't know uh spongebob squarepants fans or something (laughs) spongebob is global man that's an international right like i i don't know i picked a name like (laughs) think like is there is there an equivalent like a western would be equivalent i think and i think kojima kind of puts that in his games with the whole he's like i like spaghetti westerns it's like that scene in kill bill you know he's like i like baseball you'd be surprised there's a lot of they're actually uh i I don't know if like uh, how many of them there would be but i've met a few in my day too the 
Japanese people that uh, are really uh, obsessed with like Western stuff, with Hollywood movies, with the uh, music. Uh, and all that, and uh, so some of them it's very surface level, uh, not not too different from like you know weeaboos where they they get their entire image from that. But I've also met a few people uh, where they actually are quite serious about learning English. They have spent a, quite about a, a, a bit of time abroad, and they actually really did like the experience, and they want to go back or they did move back. So uh, yeah, there's all all sorts of different people from all walks of life uh, who who view uh, Western stuff here. And you've got like the military over in Okinawa too that are stationed there. So there's just that kind of like cross, you know, culture type thing going on. Yeah, I've been to uh, Yokosuka, which is also where the first Shenmue uh, took place. Uh, that was oh, one yeah. for visiting, <laughs> actually. But uh, yeah, no, uh, there's a, uh, when you go to Yokosuka, there's actually a lot of American American servicemen walking around. And uh, you hear far more English in uh, places like that than you would in the average Japanese town. So What about sailors? Sailors, uh, yeah, yeah, quite, uh, a few sailors, but I, I didn't want to bother them because I didn't want to get yeah. into any, uh, you know, drunken bar fights. <laughs> yeah, Sh- Shenmue is also another one, a series that I would say, uh, if Metal Gear is like, you know, number one for me, Shenmue would probably be like number two. Yeah, first two games for sure. Yeah, that third one was a shame. Yeah, I backed the Kickstarter for that. You don't need to tell me twice. I, uh, yeah, man, I, I wanted it to be good. I, I was right there with you, but. Uh. That energy, that energy stamina. Let, let me just... put it this way: it's a game that I can uh, <laughs> recommend to Shenmue fans, but I can't recommend it to anybody else because if you showed it to the average person, they'd be like, "Is there something wrong with you? Why do you like this game? Why did you sink like thirty hours into this?" Yeah. Here's to part four. Yeah, uh, it'll happen. I think it'll happen. It's just like you know, it will another ten years. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think it'll take as long as it, it took for the third one. But you know, it's like he could technically just make the same kind of game as Shenmue Three, and then just like put it as number four because all the assets are there. But it's like, yeah, I was about to say they have the engine now, so yeah, you're right. They could just kind of crank out another one. But the real question is like, do you want to? Because the third one already has like a lot of bad will among people, not just because of how it turned out, but because of how the Kickstarter was handled. And I have a sense yeah. that if they put that like on crowdfunding again, you wouldn't get the anywhere near the same amount of money. Yeah, not as much. But that's the thing. Like they didn't need all that extra Kickstarter shit like the, the stuff that they added into the game i was like ah they all could have just used your you know used your focus in other areas for sure but. how many does he want to make well, this is something that i don't think a lot of shemu fans want to admit but like you suzuki he's from a different age he he's even said he doesn't play video games so uh he said that there's like no modern conveniences of like you know of, of modern games in shenmu 3 so uh, and he actually said that if i made a shenmu 4 i'd want to make it more modern based off the feedback yeah, you should have done that the first time, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is 2020, it's not, uh, you know, 2000 anymore. So it is kind of a fascinating anachronism, though, because from what I've heard, and I'm not someone who is a, a big Shenmue fan. I've played a little bit of 1 and 2, but I've never completed either, so my knowledge is limited on this. But from what I understood, fans of the original 2, um, who understood what these games are, did enjoy 3 quite a bit. Uh, you know the 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 Kickstarter issues notwithstanding. Well, it was nostalgic for sure, and uh, especially when you uh, booted up in the beginning. Uh, you know when you see both of them yeah. in that cave, uh, and also actually, I will say like presentation wise, like the uh, the um, the environments actually look really good. The music is good. Yeah, it looked great. Yeah, the faces are a bit weird, and like the animations are a bit stiff. And also, uh, sort of you know what I was referring to earlier with like you know translation issues between games. The reason why people make fun of the English dialogue is because you could tell they had like you know a dozen translators working on this. The script is really inconsistent, and it seems that a lot of them went for like literal translation, which. Uh, ends up with a lot of wonky English dialogue. And there's so many characters, too, that all have to have a certain, you know, it's just like, it's a lot of lines. So just a lot of them are just like, it felt like hastily done. And they're like, yeah, that'll work. 
right, yeah, yeah, we'll take that one. I, sure. I don't know if they did it this time, but apparently for Shenmue One, they literally got like anyone who could speak English and call themselves a voice actor who lived in like the Tokyo area <laughs> to <laughs> record the voices. They had to cast a whole damn town. Yeah, That's, yeah it was like so many people. It's it's pretty like Shenmue was impressive as shit when it first came out. So basically, the Silent Hill Two casting strategy. Yeah, but also, I mean, they flew Corey Marshall to Japan to record instead of actually like you know being smart and just like recording in America or like you know renting a studio in America. Yeah, I've heard some stuff with uh, Kojima kind of doing the same type stuff, like flying people out for stuff that could have definitely been a phone call. Rika Muranaka, uh, he would like call her at like 3 a.m. and just be like, hey, I need another take. And, you know, like you need to fly uh, to Japan tomorrow. And it's just like, what? whoa, what? Like, you know, so he, he was kind of like a little bit uh, demanding when it came to stuff. Well, the one thing that I was thinking, though, I think, like, uh, you know, that era of video games, though, where you had that those types of, like, you know, choices, you had that kind of, like, excess of creativity, you really don't see it that much anymore, because I think uh, games are becoming more like Hollywood films. So, like, to me, Metal Gear Solid Five is, like, the, la- the, the example of, like, the last, like, you know, huge AAA game where, like, one creator is given, like, that much creative freedom, but that's clashing with the studio, so it's almost like a Heaven's Gate situation with, like, film, where, like, you know, Michael Cimino is given, like, all this money to make, like, this huge, like, grand western, but I think the difference is there's never been like a big a huge i don't know some people say shenmue might be like vince gate of video games just because of how much money was like put into it for like you know relatively little profit in return so uh maybe like death stranding is sort of like you know a buck to that trend because sony did give kojima like a lot of money but you really don't see like those types of projects like being that normal in the video game industry anymore it's strange too because the entire idea of a game chasing hollywood standards is strange given how big the industry is now because it in the past always seemed like chasing legitimacy in a sense but now the gaming industry is making money hand over fist in comparison to the movie industry especially now with the with the pandemic going on uh the gaming industry is booming and yet games still seem to try to chase that hollywood prestige for some reason it just it seems odd to me yeah uh, yeah, no, I would agree. And actually, speaking of that, uh, I started The Last of Us Part Two. Uh, you know, last week. Uh, uh, it was in my backlog for a while. I want I sort of wanted to play it, like, you know, away from all the hype. And so I'm only about, like, an hour or two into this. But it's it, it's a really, like, beautiful game, like, presentation-wise. But, like, gameplay-wise, I'm thinking to myself, you know, why did this have to be a video game? And also, why did this have to be a video game? And if you turn this into a movie, I think it would kind of almost be laughed at just because of, you know, uh, the cliches of the genre that it adds. Maybe, maybe it's, like, you know, uh, unique for video games. Uh, and I feel this way about the first one too it's unique as like a video game experience but then when you put the same story and the same characters into film this has been done like a hundred times really in the same genre yeah Uh, yeah i'd agree and it seems like the games that sort of escape that um that awkwardness when it comes to trying to tell a hollywood style story or the ones that reach that level of legitimacy tend to be the ones that are more underplayed so i know this is a cliche but shadow of the colossus with how uh low-key the story is you never really have to struggle to take it seriously. Yeah, and then also that also plays, you know, the idea of all the talk of Metal Gear becoming a movie. I'm trying to think, like, how would you do this? Because it's a, the one that's, like, in development now. It's not supposed to be an ad- adaptation of MGS1, from uh, from what I hear. It's supposed to be, like, a mix of, like, you know, aspects from different games. But, like, what kind of story would you tell? And is it a story that people would actually take seriously? So, you, you know, it's making a Metal Gear Solid movie. A, a Metal Gear Solid movie is probably... One of the most ironic choices you could make in terms of making a video game movie, because MGS is one of those games that only really works as a game. You're, you're stripping out part of its soul if you, if you 
reduce it to just the cutscenes in a sense. But with this idea of it being an amalgam of sorts of the different aspects of the franchise, I kind of I've said this before, but I worry it's going to end up somewhat like the live action Ghost in the Shell movie where it's trying to be all of the different aspects of the series at once while never really having its own identity. It's like grabbing thing A and thing B and thing C because they're interesting and visually iconic, but putting them into a space that they don't make sense in anymore. You know, they made set they made sense in this place, but now you've 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 stripped them you've stripped them of their context and they're just, you know, they're they're just eye candy now. They're fan service. And I, I worry that's what Metal Gear's gonna be. Can I make another example? Because I think this one will be a little closer to what you're talking about. Uh, Silent Hill, those movies, how they oh, like yeah. add all like, OK, of course, everything after like four, they just add Pyramid Head with no context. Um, but in the movie, I think the movie was like the first big example of that, where it just felt like they threw in Pyramid Head so that all the fans could have their moment when in reality, we were all actually kind of pissed off. It's funny, too, because the second movie just they they dropped all pretense of trying to be serious. And I mean, I know it was a different director at that point, but uh, man, they sure did go all in on that Pyramid Head Kung Fu battle. I was about to say, wasn't there like a, a fist fight between Pyramid Head and someone else? Yeah, it, uh, Claudia, right? I think so. And then what's his face from uh, A Clockwork Orange was... Um leonard yeah that's just weird uh, i've never i've never actually seen it though but from what i've read of the first film that director got really lucky to have like to have konami entrust that ip to him like i, I it seems to me something like that would never happen today i'll give him this he tried <laughs> he really tried was this like a situation where they took a, a not what like sort of like marvel does or used to do where they take a, a not so well-known director so that you know they can kind of you know, stand behind him and say, hey, you know, we have a lot more power here. Like there's a power dynamic there, so he can't really be creative or expressive. Was that like a similar case with Silent Hill? Well, it was it was Christopher Gons, wasn't it? That did uh, Silent Hill? I think so. Yeah. And I mean, he's a he's a French filmmaker and had done, uh, you know, a handful of films before then. But he wasn't really uh, hugely mainstream in Hollywood. And uh, I know he was a, a big fan of the franchise, but uh, from what I understand, he had pretty much uh, free reign to do what he wanted with the film. Okay. You know what? That makes sense because I remember in like one interview he had, I guess he didn't think that Harry, Harry was a, a good enough uh, protagonist because he wasn't like a mom or something. So that's why they made right. Rose instead of Harry. Yeah. Well, also, uh, you know, just uh, that's also the reason why, like, I'm not I'm happy that they, they did to make, like, you know, the Bioshock movie, for example, because to me, there's some games where the gameplay is like so central to the narrative that if you turn it into a movie, lose that. I mean, Bioshock is about free will. And, you know, what medium can you actually, you know, talk about free will the best? Well, a video game, because, you know, you're controlling the character. And so it's like that meta narrative. You don't have that in film. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't um, for the Bioshock film when they were still doing that, wasn't Gore Verbinski tied to that? Uh, yeah, he was. And also they wanted to act, the studio wanted to do like, you know, a gritty R rated film. So not to water it down, but they actually went with Watchmen Ed. So, you know, for better or worse. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Hmm. 
I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, the best. I gotta vi- think about that one. No, the best video game movies that I've seen are the ones that are usually usually they're like anime adaptations. So like the Street Fighter Two anime film, it's like you know leagues better than you know the live action film. Though the live yeah. action film has its fans, like you know, sort of like in a, a ironic sense. But <laughs> um, there's also the uh, the Phoenix Wright movie, uh, mm-hmm. Mike Takashi. He like adapted into like a live action film. That was actually pretty close to the I, game. I've seen that. That was pretty entertaining. That was fun. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, though I do, I do wonder though that if you show that to somebody who had never played the games, would they still have the same enjoyment, or is it something just for the fans? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> I was just thinking of, I was thinking of that scene where he was like, "Before Christmas, it's not Christmas." <laughs> yeah, it did get, it did get like the, uh, you know, the tone of the game uh, pretty well, I would say. And then also there's the, uh, there's an anime film that's uh, based off Professor Layton, or it's more like a side story in between the games. So that one was quite good. Uh, and also, I guess if you're what a Pokemon fan, I'm sure the movies are, are probably enjoyable just to see the characters. The uh, the Animal Crossing animes have, or I think there's one of them, but that's been, that was pretty enjoyable. It set the tone pretty well. Yeah, actually, fun fact: the first time that I ever heard uh, the Japanese language when I was like I think five or six was uh, the uh, Super Mario Brothers, the anime film, the really obscure one from I think 1986. Uh, it's like an hour long, and someone had uploaded to YouTube. There was no subtitles. There was no indication of what was going on, and you know. But as a kid, I'm like, oh, it's Mario, and he's moving, and it's a cartoon. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of the uh, Castlevania animated series? Uh, I saw the first. Are they on season three now? I think. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, I saw yeah. season one and two. I never got to season three, but I, I like it a lot. It actually, uh, it kind of gave me hope for Western animation because uh, it's very rare these days for me to watch any, uh, I, well, I have uh, little spare time to watch anime anyways, but when I do watch animation, it's rare to watch a Western animation for me these days, but I was uh, quite uh, you know pleasantly surprised by that film, or by that series, I mean. That leads me to think that maybe the, the correct way to adapt Metal Gear into something, and we've talked about this in previous episodes, is to do an animated series, possibly even an anthology series. Yeah, though there, there is one thing though. Uh, I don't know if you want to open this can of worms with how like politicized everything is. If you put it in the hands of like you know some uh, writers that are like you're trying to push some kind of political agenda, and especially with a series as political as Metal Gear, if they would actually respect the source material or try to like you know rewrite MGS two to mean no, it's actually about the 2016 election or something like that. Because if they did that, I think that would be a big disservice uh, to the games. Absolutely. Yeah, for the anniversary today, I posted a uh, MGS2 cover that I had made a while back, and uh, this kid commented on Twitter, you know, like attached the video of uh, Ryden talking to President Johnson about the Patriots, and he said, uh, when I played this as a kid, this part stuck with me ever since. This game made me believe in conspiracy theories to the max. Still do to this day. <laughs> I was just like, oh, you missed the point, buddy. Shit. That reminds me, and I know I've said this before, I've told this story in the past, but on one of the old Metal Gear forums, there was a guy who uh, was inspired by Metal Gear Solid to join the military. <laughs> oh, no. And, yeah, it was uh, just pages and pages of replies of people essentially just face palming. Yeah, well, that's almost like, you know, you read American Psycho and you think, yeah, you know, this, this book is a glorification of murder, and that's all this book is. You know, people just miss the point completely <laughs> on on uh, on some stuff. Even they miss the point completely on some like uh, works that are actually the message is not like you know you know complex at all. It's like written there right in front of you. Right. It reminds me of uh, Upton Sinclair's The Jungle, and he was hoping that you know people would like understand pe- workers' rights and and how these people are treated. And then the book came out, and everybody was just worried how like their can of meat was produced. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so uh, I got to ask you something. And uh, this, is, this has been my ulterior motive for getting you on this show for, for a while now. Oh, sure, go ahead. 
Uh, how in the world do you prefer the Twin Snakes over the original Metal Gear Solid? Oh, we're getting into this topic now, are we? <laughs> yeah, I, I got to know, man. Okay, well, wait, well wait, that, we got to have this out. That was your first, right? You played Twin Snakes first? Well, the first, the well, after Metal Gear 1 and 2, like when I played on the MSX2, I moved to, you know, the Twin Snakes because keep in mind, I didn't have a PlayStation. So so that was your first run, and that then that, that was like all you knew, and then you went to the PlayStation version later. Yeah, so I did. I, like, ah. I And listen, I've played the PlayStation version at least like, you know, three or four times, and also, like I said, once completely through in Japanese. So it's not like that I don't know what the PlayStation version is. It's just that... Oh, yeah, yeah. I was just yeah. saying like experience <laughs> Twin Snakes first can make you like just appreciate it more versus like having the first one you know like that expectation and going into the remake and you're like oh i think that's kind of a weird phenomenon too like like with demon souls if people are playing this new one on ps5 for the first time they're probably like hell yeah but if you have no, that experience no, I, no. I know i know don't I know. you try to hey, hey, don't hey, hey. you try to rationalize his fingers i want to be angry well, about well this. you'll probably you'll probably be angry at this too because i compare it to like you know the star wars equals because people my age those are the first star wars films we actually watched and uh, i think people my of my generation are more willing to defend those movies than i think somebody who uh, was you know too old for them when they came out or grew up with the original yeah. ones they're better than the fucking i Disney have wondered sequels. too if well, I've wondered too if kids growing up with the with the new Disney sequels, <laughs> if they're just going to hate Star Wars, <laughs> will look back on them fondly. I just don't think they give a fuck about Star Wars. No. Yeah, I think they're about said I don't either. So I have two young boys, and I took them both to see all three of the Star Wars sequels, and they did not care in the slightest. It just doesn't have the character. It doesn't have the heart. Like, I mean, that's that's a big problem that I'm having with a lot of media right now. It's just like, I'm like, ugh, where's the good stuff? I just feel like everything's a service. Well, you'd be proud of me because so uh, my girlfriend had never seen any Star Wars movies at all, not once. So what we did was we watched like every single one in the order they came out and I even showed her the despecialized editions. So she gets Ooh, the nice uh, the actual like, you know, Star Wars ones. And then, yeah, I mean, the, the opinion was, yeah, you know, the originals are the best. The prequels like, you know, rewatching them. Yeah, they're, they're okay. And then like the sequels, well, this is just a retread of like everything that came before it and just not as good. And, you know, the standalone films are, are you know, marginally better. So I didn't have to like really push push her to come to that opinion. All right, you know what? I'm going to take away your Metal Gear card for Twin Snakes, but I'm going to give you a Star Wars card. Oh, okay. That's good then. (laughs) (laughs) Well, another thing about the prequels too is that despite the fact that the script and the writing was bad, they still had like some world building, you know, with the Jedi and and the history of them and all the planets and whatnot. It's just, they all were behind a green screen with really crappy dialogue. Yeah. Well, actually, I wrote this like a uh, tweet that kind of went viral like last year. It was like uh, I it's like a picture of like, you know, of uh, uh, Hideo Kojima. And I said, you know, be young, visionary director, doubted by everybody, creates like a breakthrough success. You know, he's associated with the brand, but then, you know, it's taken away by, uh, from him by the studio. And then like the, the later ones aren't, you know, as enjoyed by the fans. And, you know, oh, be George Lucas, pick unrelated. <laughs> <laughs> I um I saw a picture today that was the um the predator handshake meme and it said Game of Thrones Star Wars shit gets fucked up once George leaves. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Did, did they wait they came out at around the same time too, didn't they? Wasn't the finale uh last year around the time uh, the last Star Wars film came out? It was and a lot of people compared the two where like, you know, the leaks came out and people were in disbelief and then, you know, some of the previews hinted at the leaks and then, you know, by the time the film came out Everybody kind of, kind of, everything was confirmed, and it was everyone's worst nightmare. And didn't the Game of Thrones guys 
quit to do Star Wars stuff? Is it that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, also, Ryan Johnson oh is supposedly going to get his own trilogy, which, you know, uh, God help Is that us. still happening? Well, that it's still rumored. There was a rumor that, like, it wasn't happening, but he, like, I didn't confirm that, so. But... I have not seen Knives Out, but I've heard it's excellent. Yeah, it's, it's oh, yeah. yeah. I liked it. I liked it more than I think. The thing is, like with Ryan Johnson, I've also seen Looper, where like it had a good concept, but then it just fell apart at the ending. So he's uh, he's good with like some basic ideas, but I think execution could be a bit better with him. So he's the Resident Evil of movie directors in that he can't stick the landing. Yeah, and also I don't think he responds to criticism that well either. Because if you look at his Twitter, maybe he's toned it down. But before he would like really be, uh, you know, mocking people that didn't like the Last Jedi. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. Like I've I've got the feelings. You know, it's like yeah, this movie sucked. I didn't really enjoy it. But I'm not like tweeting at him. I, I think that's yeah. kind of like the most annoying part about this. That, that's like so weird to think. Can you imagine if like you know Orson Welles had Twitter and like you know someone said I didn't really care for Citizen Kane. I think, I, <laughs> and then like tweeting it and then like he's actually yeah. responding back. You know that just shows. Oh, you. Orson Welles would never have a Twitter. <laughs> there is um I remember we watched uh The Last Jedi in theaters and uh I I was kind of indifferent towards it at first uh and I'm still kind of indifferent towards it it just didn't entertain me. Yeah, Rise of Skywalker was that for me. I was just like, man, I'm checked out during this movie. I actually fell dude, asleep fell in asleep. the theater. Yeah, I fell asleep too. <laughs> in the theater, dude, like There's uh, only one movie I would say I enjoyed less in the past 5 years than The Last Jedi and that would be uh Jurassic Park Fallen Kingdom. No, I didn't even see that. I saw the first Jurassic World, and then I kind of checked out after. Yeah, that. I don't believe you. You made the right choice. Yeah, I'm I'm a big Jurassic Park fan. I know it's it's kind of silly, but I, I I love those movies. And and Fallen Kingdom is so hilariously awful that I walked out of that theater with my wife and kids, and I was just like, did did we just pay for that? Yeah, like. Uh, I'm gonna go on a rant. Yeah, that's always an awkward talk to have with your kids when you just leave a shitty movie and nobody's really talking because you all know it's trash. I need to just take my kids to better movies is what I need to do. Well, you can't really do that now, can you? I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not really. <laughs> you had your chance. Sorry. Though in uh, Japan, the movie theaters, they're all open and they're back to like, uh, you know, normal seating. What they did was like, so it was only like every other seat. Every other seat was open, but I think they're going back to normal seating now, too. And then normal show times. So Japan's almost back to, to complete normalcy at this point, aren't they? Yeah, and it's like, you know, if there's like, uh, I don't know, uh, 200 like COVID cases a day, that's considered to be like big. And, you know, 200 COVID cases a day, you're laughing about that like in the U.S. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, so. Yeah. I did read that there was some sort of, um, I'm probably going to completely screw this up, but there was some report about uh, the Japanese government saying that uh, foreigners who were in Japan weren't understanding their COVID, COVID guidelines, guidelines, something like that. Oh, that, that was yeah. Don't uh, don't believe that. There's a I, uh, it's on my Twitter. I like retweeted like this uh, guy kind of debunking that. Where all it was saying was like there's oh. some la- they're saying there's like language barriers that need to be addressed. Like you know we need to communicate this better towards people who uh, don't speak Japanese. It's really it wasn't blaming foreigners for you know what happened. It wasn't saying that you know it's their fault. It's just. Uh, so this is this other thing too that that English speaking expat Twitter does, uh, and they'll like try to like make these claims about like how Japan is. It'll get retweeted by people that don't live here, and they only hear this one perspective, so they think this is like what it actually is, but it, it isn't. The misinformation age. Okay, yeah, yeah. No, I mean that, that's the other thing too. Like if you don't live, here, you know, uh, it's really easy to jump to conclusions. So I mean, what was would you say the biggest culture shock uh, in moving from the U.S. to Japan? 
Uh, well, I'm from an Asian background already. So my uh, dad's side is Chinese. So I already had like some experience of like, you know, what the East Asian mentality, like, you know, uh, collectivism versus individualism is. Uh, that wasn't actually that big of a culture shock to me. I guess it's more just like, you know, uh, my conception of how like Japanese people express emotions. A lot of people view them as like, you know, uh, cold people, you know, they don't emote easily. But I really don't find that the case. I think they just emote differently than how uh, Westerners do. But they still emote, obviously. Yeah, I wonder if that if that's like a big thing with the games. Like, if there isn't there uh, like a lot of that, like just body language and stuff in Metal Gear Two that we're obviously probably not picking up on. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, there is. And uh, actually, like if you think that you know, with you know, our perceptions of Japan is bad. I mean, like you know, I uh, cover North Korea. A lot of people have these uh, pr- uh, conceptions of what Korean people are like, and I've actually met North Koreans, and you know, they're normal people like everybody else. They're just in a really, really bad situation. So, you know, I think. Uh, it's easy to, like I said, it's easy to jump to conclusions if you've never met somebody, you know, from a certain place or you've never been there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure you've answered this question a million times um, and not to take us too far off track, but what got you interested in pursuing North Korea academically? Yeah, well, that's because uh, my uh, dad said they all lived through the Cultural Revolution in China. So uh, I have a really huge sympathy for people who live, you know, in communist countries or post-communist countries. So uh, the human rights situation is what uh, interested me in reading more about North Korea. And then because I have the uh, Japanese background, that I got interested in, you know, how uh, Jan, you know, handles North Korea and the history between both countries. Yeah, there's probably a little bit of tension there considering how many missiles they shoot over. Yeah, and uh, well, again, I don't want to get political. I don't want to open this can of worms. But now that, uh, you know, Biden is going to be president, the idea is like, are they going to actually go back to ICBM testing? Because they promised under the Trump administration that we won't do ICBM testing as a gesture of goodwill. Well, if he's gone, you know, it could be like a reset to zero. And so, uh, you know, sooner or later, the next administration is going to have to deal with that problem. I did see this morning there was something with... uh like Russian subs or Russian ships were like doing something with Alaskan uh, like fishing vessels. Like just, they were like, you know, ordering them that they were about to be fired on and to turn around and stuff. And they were in like safe water. So there's definitely some tensions rising internationally for sure. Are we going to talk about the food? (laughs) Food? The food of what? The food of Japan? We have to address the food, Oliver. (laughs) Oh yeah. I noticed you're actually, you know, while you also tweet about international politics, uh, there are a few other tweets about like, food mostly like international food yeah. um i paid a lot of attention to that and you had like a great breakfast last week so i'm also jealous no um, that, that's like almost every week <laughs> i was trying to compare nitroid apparently had the best breakfast uh so i was trying to compare you two um in any case yeah i noticed there was an abundance of like food topics and, and international foods posted. I was just curious about that. Yeah, no, uh, Japan has a really good uh, diverse variety of different food and especially seafood because uh, meat is like, you know, beef and that that's more expensive here than fish. So, uh, you know, no, there's no oh, shortage wow. of that. Yeah, never really thought of that. But yeah, I mean, it makes perfect sense. I've just never thought of it. I'm going to go out on the limb here and say that Oliver probably had a better breakfast than me, despite where <laughs> I, was, uh, I went on vacation to... Uh, short little weekend vacation to Gatlinburg, uh, Tennessee and had a, a breakfast at a place called Crockett's and they had these like two inch thick pancakes, uh, stacked in threes. And it was just insane. That, that reminds me of when I went to the, uh, Roscoe's, uh, I think it's the chicken waffles in, uh, Los Angeles. Yeah. So like those huge portions, uh, yeah, you know, it never, it doesn't, it never surprises me, you know, with the excesses of, you know, American food. <laughs> Although we're going to have to talk about your pizza. Oh, well, you know, I, I'm working with like a toaster oven. So doing the best I can. 
All right, because you you wouldn't have a full size oven. That yeah, never mind. I take it back. But yeah, but also I'm doing the dough and the sauce and everything from scratch, and I'm going to the import grocery store to actually get high quality mozzarella cheese. So it's not like I'm cheaping out on the ingredients here. Good man, good man. All right, I I, I rescind my complaint. <laughs> no, mo- most Japanese <laughs> I re- I retract most, my complaint. Most Japanese oven uh, apartments don't have ovens, though. I will say, I think you know my calzones; those turn out oh, okay. I think. But yeah, those would probably be easier to cook. A calzone is just a, a pizza that a cook said, "Ah, oh, fuck it," and flipped it over. Yeah. Well, this is. Well, I guess this is a cooking <laughs> podcast now. But no. Yeah. What I do is I put like an egg wash over the dough so it actually turns golden brown. Ooh, nice. Yeah. Or as we call it in bumfuck Tennessee, where all we have is a Pizza Hut, a pizzone. <laughs> <laughs> well, we we also actually we do have Domino's and Pizza Hut like in Japan, and. Uh, I would say the quality is better, but like it's not, you know, American style pizza. And, you know, uh, you look this up, there's tons of like weird Japanese pizza toppings like squid and like, you know, mayonnaise and, you know, all, all different oh, things. Oh, no. So, no. Like, which is, no. which is just God, like no. corn too. So, which is really funny when people say, oh, no. stop it. It's like, it's like, you know, you're, you're, uh, you know, complaining about pineapple pizza, but like if you come here, that's like a normal topic. That's like not, and I've actually, I've had comments where like I just try to have like, you know, a quote unquote normal American pizza, like, you know, pepperoni, you know, mushrooms, olives, that kind of stuff. And one, like, like Japanese friend was saying, like, oh, that's pretty generic, isn't it? Like, where were the toppings? Yeah. What? Yeah. They're saying, like, yeah, is there something wrong? Like, well, why didn't you add any toppings to this? <laughs> so I'm guessing, like, the concept of an extra cheese pizza is just like lost on them. They, actually, Domino's does have that now, where it's like I think a, a like a whole kilogram of cheese like on one pizza. So. <laughs> yes. Yes. There we go. All right, now we're now we're talking my language. No, you, you'd be surprised that we're like I'm. I'm surprised too. Sometimes like how you know Japanese food has a reputation for being like small portioned and like you get very little, but sometimes they go all out where like it is a really like huge comparable. There's like a pizza place that's uh, about a ten minute bus ride away from where I live. They serve like actual like New York style sliced pieces of pizza where it's like you know the size of your face. Oh my god. Yeah. Whoa. It's really surprising. See, my wife and I have been talking about taking a, a vacation to Japan one of these days, just going for two weeks and seeing as much as we can. And the big thing we're excited about is the food. Yeah, no, there's a lot to go. Uh, uh, go to the izakayas, the uh, the bars. Those have like a really good drinks, really good uh, good bar food. Yeah, we we won't be taking the kids with us. So. <laughs> well, you know, if that, well, the rumor is is that like from April 2021, that's when they're going to gradually start opening uh, tourism because they still want to do the Olympics. But I think it's going to be by a country by country basis. And uh, I have the feeling that America's probably going to be one of the last ones that they open up to. I mean, can you blame them? Yeah, I wouldn't blame them. No. <laughs> the real question is, have you made a Neo Kobe pizza? No, not yet. But that is based off like an actual, you might know that, that that's based off yeah, the type of like takoyaki. Thing, yeah. yeah, I've had the normal, the, the normal takoyaki. I've never had the one with the soup though. I should have though, because I studied abroad in Kobe, you know, three years ago. So uh, next time I'm there, I should try to consider doing that. I figured being a Snatcher fan, you know, you might have yeah. gone out and tried it. Yeah. I also I heard Japan has a has a thing for like fried chicken. Is that true? Yes, it is. I mean, uh, Kentucky fried chicken is huge over here, and uh, you know the rumors you've heard about like eating it at the at uh, Christmas time. That's true too. Where uh, it's like a limited edition. Why? Uh, why? I, Are you asking why why they like fried chicken? <laughs> really? No, I'm just asking why it's a. <laughs> no, phenomenon. why is it a Christmas tradition? Uh, yeah. yeah, like I. Ugh. I think this is. I think this might just be. Why like an not urban Bojangles, legend. man? Well, this might just be an urban legend, but I think it's because like when the American servicemen were like in uh, Japan, they didn't really have access to turkey, but they had fried chicken, so ah. that's somehow. But I think I don't know if that's actually true or not. It could be completely that's false. Interesting. But like, why the Christmas association? Well, that's because they would have like a turkey dinner at Christmas. Yeah, Maybe turkey for Christmas. Oh, oh, I get it. I I completely missed that. Wow. 
You're good. Kentucky Fried Chicken, though, the spices, I think, are slightly different than what we have in America. And the rounds are actually much cleaner. And that's actually uh, one, I guess, culture shock thing. You actually have people who, like, study in fast food restaurants here. So if you go to McDonald's, there's students everywhere just, like, you know, uh, studying for their exams. And because the restaurants are clean enough and, you know, to do that, basically. But they're almost like cafes. So it's like a Starbucks situation, yeah. Not to keep going down this rabbit hole, but how similar is the food at McDonald's to what we have in the U.S.? That's actually closer (laughs) to the U.S., but I actually say it's better because, like, they adhere to the style book more and uh like i said the restaurants are cleaner so i don't have a really nice way of saying they give a shit yeah (laughs) make stuff to spec there's a mcdonald's across the street from where i live too so uh you know got to be careful got to resist the urge not to just you know not cook and just go there but do they have breakfast all day they do not and that's actually one one other thing too it's not it's until 10 30 man that's just wrong. So basically the only time I can have that is if I can actually like force myself to get out of bed, you know, early enough to go across the street to get that or uh, wake up early, do, you know, some exercise and then, you know, justify that. Then, OK, you've worked hard. Time for the, the Egg McMuffin. <laughs> you know, doing it the, uh, the Bill Clinton way where you go to McDonald's after running a marathon. This guy knows his political history. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Hold on real quick. Would, would you eat a calorie mate? Or have you <laughs> yeah, eaten a calorie yeah, yeah. mate? I have eaten a calorie mate, and uh, yeah, don't don't do it. Do it once if you want to, like you know, be like snake. But uh, they're terrible. Though I do have a British friend. Who's in, I have a British friend who's into like fitness and stuff. And whenever he uh, doesn't have like a meal or he needs to like compensate for that, then he'll eat a calorie mate. But I don't think it's aimed at like normal people. All right, look, here, look. <laughs> I, I like calorie mates. All right, I like them. But I but I also like shortbread cookies. So like, <laughs> you, you know, I, I got nothing. So your taste is bad, confirmed. Okay. Calorie mates remind me of that uh that that bar that um Katie gave Regina George and like Mean Girls, where she's like, it's gonna help you lose weight, but it actually helps like starving kids in Africa gain weight. Like that's all that's how I visual ca- visualize calorie mate. What what always bothered me though is the anachronism in MGS3 where like it appears, but the calorie mate didn't actually come out until years later. Though I think I have the sense that at this point he kind of does that on purpose just to like, you know, to to met people to who are who are into stuff like that. Which one did you try? I just I think the normal flavor. Oh, the Walkman, for example. I don't think it came out like in the 70s when Peace Walker came out after, didn't it? Well, they had that advanced R&D, you know? Oh, yeah. yeah the... I forgot. That's why. Yeah. yeah. They get the prototype. <laughs> the house was somehow. The military has it before. Hey, did they did. even have Mountain Dew and Doritos back then, too? Um, or, no, or Big Box body spray. It. Oh, yeah. Actually, that's one thing. I don't know if you knew this. In the Japanese version of Peace Walker, there's a whole radio conversation about how uh, Kaz, like his favorite American food is Doritos. <laughs> and I don't think that was in, I don't think that was in like the, the uh, Western. Yeah, I don't think that's ever been translated. I've never seen that. Yeah, I know it's pretty funny. That's great. Now I just like picture Kaz eating lunch and there's like a hamburger and then like a pile of Doritos on the other side of the plate. He puts the Doritos in the burger. Like oh, a lot of people no. do like chips and yeah. yeah. Well, I think it's just because remember he's like half Japanese and he spent his childhood in Japan, but I think just the way that he's performed because Robert Atkin Downs is he's a really good voice actor, but he is like the most American accent ever. So you wouldn't really yeah. think that. <laughs> you know what's funny Doritos came out in 1964 son of a bitch oh well then yeah, I guess maybe they did get to Costa Rica spot then. on my yeah. god I'm, I'm gonna bet I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say that Axe Body Spray did not come out until much later yeah they were a little late yeah well also I mean there's the songs in MGS5 where you know uh, they, they came out after 1984 like uh, you know Friday I'm in Love <laughs> by The Cure that, w- that was definitely not an 80s song the Kira sent them like a, a, a WIP before they had released it. You know, the budget for that game, probably half of that had to come from like music licensing. Yeah, it's definitely uh, not cheap. 
And you know what's going to probably happen if that game ever gets released again, it's probably the, those songs are probably going to be like taken out or like it won't have all of them because that's usually what happens with those types of licensed music. You know, there was a song that was going to be included originally um, that wasn't. I mean, just just one of them. I know I think there were more, but one that springs to mind was uh, "Party All the Time" uh, by Eddie Murphy. And that was another one that was about a year after the game takes place. Well, also I will say that MGS Five that is also what got me into new wave music too, with uh, you know Japan and David Sylvian. Nice. Yeah. At this rate, whatever music they cut out is probably a good idea because you're going to get a DMCA claim for it anyway. Twitch just, has lost uh, their damn minds. Or, or their record companies just, uh, have. Just press mute, <laughs> y'all. Just press mute on your game. I saw oh, somebody got muted for a sound effect, and I also saw someone got muted while playing Phasmophobia, and they whispered something, and then that whisper got traced back to some, like... YouTube video where it's like prayer or something like where they're whispering and it's just getting matched up. It's it's getting crazy, man. What? Yeah. It was like, oh, this is some whispering recording that someone did on YouTube. And it's like, I just oh, whispered, geez. but it matched up and that person got a got a strike. Twitch needs to fix their shit. Nitro, did you see that that tweet from Twitch support? Yeah, where they said, Oh, just mute your game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, mute your music, and then now people are getting hit for sound effects. Uh, Persona 5, someone got hit for the police siren, and that matched with the police siren sound bank uh, <laughs> on YouTube. <laughs> they got hit. You know what's funny is uh, I've uploaded uh, Metal Gear trailers to YouTube before, and I've gotten hit with content ID because some random artist has sampled a Metal Gear track. Yeah. That's how, and that's the how copyright the will go to the too. random artist. Yeah, because they won't have a content ID claim on the original, like, you know, that's like pursuing people, but then the person yeah. that remixed it did, and then it's it's like through your distributor, sometimes it's just like a, a checkbox that you can just have on there, and it's like, yeah, I'll do that, sure, why not? And I've been able to dispute it a couple of times because I've got like the little script that I can send out, but it's not mine, so like I can't really dispute it. Yeah, it's weird. that's where it stuff. sucks with like cover yeah. stuff, and when you're using other IPs, you're like, shit, this isn't original if it really goes all the way. Yeah, so. but but you know what? How uh, YouTube is really arbitrary. Like, uh, not just Twitch, YouTube, for example. So uh, there's copyright strike system on there too, obviously. But I've like uploaded like full movies and like full obscure like documentaries and stuff, and like you know uh, yeah. Japanese music videos that are like subtitled in English just so other people can see them, and like those have not been copyright strike strike. Yeah, it has to be in that in that content ID system or manually claimed by, you know, the rights owner at that point. I get the need for it, but it's just it there are so many false positives. It's insane. But right now the AI is just going batshit crazy. Like it's just like it's making these like false positives where it's like that's not even that and that person doesn't even own this and this person's being fraudulent and these people are making claims on, you know, it's just like there's so many bad things happening right now all at the same time. So and now the record labels are like, oh, people are playing music on Twitter. Oh, get 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 over there now! And like they're just they sent all the attack dogs in the past couple. Of weeks, well, what's, so. what's even worse is like when uh, videos are called like you know it's only for children, so you know we have to disable the comments. You can't get notifications when this goes live. Ugh. Like uh, so, like for NK News, which is the website that like I'm a journalist for, we have a YouTube channel, and we sometimes like upload like you know interviews that like our staff does with like you know ABC or like you know CNN or whatever. But those will get like you know demonetized or like called like children's content because you know talking about North Korea and like you know the threat of nuclear <laughs> weapons. That's stuff you know appropriate for children, obviously. What? Yeah, it's a, it says like you know oh because this this video is aimed at children, you can't comment, you can't like you know uh, you know uh, get notifications when this video goes live. Yeah. Yeah, that whole thing, that whole system got really screwed up this year, too. It, it feels like 
Emma Emmerich's worm cluster got like uploaded into YouTube and Twitch. Yeah, but and yo, like, you could, but there's actual like North Korea propaganda on YouTube. So and like they have like this like yeah. weird dance where like they they keep it on and then it sometimes it goes off, but then it goes back on. So I saw a video uh, on one of those North Korean channels that showed. Um, I don't remember the name. You probably know. It's the giant hotel. Echo of Truth. I think might the, be the YouTube channel. Well, it was it was that giant hotel in Pyongyang. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and they had a pizza parlor in there, and it showed them making pizza. And oh, I was so yeah, yeah, yeah. deeply offended by how badly they made that pizza that I just, I, I didn't know what to do with myself. Damn, are you Italian or something, Nitroid? <laughs> that, that actually might be by, from my uh, friend uh, Masayuki Adamaki, because he's a researcher who's been to like North Korea, I think, like 30 times. I interviewed him earlier this year, and he has a YouTube channel where they, for some reason, they let him film in Pyongyang. They let him film like all stuff like that without any kind of restriction, so then he's been uploading it to his YouTube channel for years, so I think that's my, maybe, I, I, I might have shared that, and maybe you saw that. Well, clearly that country has a lot of problems, and pizza is one of them. Well, they have hamburgers, <laughs> and uh, Kim Jong-il claimed that he invented the hamburger in North Korea, which is uh, technically not untrue, because, you know, for the first time in North Korea, it is would have been his, you know, decision to let that in. That is, that is not true, Kazuhira Miller invented the hamburger. <laughs> it's true. Canaan. <laughs> hey, that was 100% all beef patty and no shortening in the bun either. So, uh, Oliver, do you think uh, with the PS5 just having launched, you're going to pick one up? Uh, yeah, that's the thing about the PS5. In Japan, you can't actually pre-order it. You could only get into a lottery to pre-order it. So if you win the lottery, Yo. then you can pre-order <laughs> You're it. You're kidding. <laughs> yeah. And so the thing about that is, is so a couple weeks ago, <laughs> me and my girlfriend, we each did like, we both entered like a separate lottery so we could have like a better chance. And then neither of us got it. So then this week, some places are doing like a last lottery because it's the week that it came out. So whatever stock they have on hand, they'll let you like, you know, uh, pre-order that. So uh, we should get the results within a few days. But just given the sheer amount of people that have uh, entered that lottery, it's pretty unlikely. And I get the sense that if I don't get it now, probably not until like probably next spring when they have more stock, will we be able to get it? Godspeed, man. We're just wait for the, the other version of this that's going to come out soon, probably. I, I've heard that like that internal uh, hard drive space is not very much. Yeah, it actually might be a better idea to wait because I think with when you know with the OS and everything you only have about 600 gigs of usable memory and like yeah. Call of Duty Cold War is like I think 130 gigs which to me is like <laughs> insane. So Well, isn't there an M.2 drive slot inside of it? I think they're eventually going to put out some kind of expandable storage that they're not allowing uh like third party. I did see that, but they're going to probably oh, so come it, out with their own line that is going to be expandable. I'm sure that that's Oh, they so have it's got to. the expansion slot, but it doesn't actually work yet. That's yeah, not for third party anything. As no. far as I know, I don't think there's any solid state drive that's on the market that actually is compatible with the write speeds or the read speeds of the PlayStation 5 yet. That's interesting. And now that it's out, they, you know, of course people are probably going to try to, you know, make attempts to it, but uh, you know, Sony's been uh, pretty good at like locking shit out that you know isn't supposed to be there. R.I.P. P.T. Yeah, mm-hmm. I got one, and uh, the first thing I tried to do was uh, transfer over P.T. And I thought, okay, so there were reports that people who had received, I thought, and I thought wrong. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there were reports early on from people who had review consoles that P.T. was transferable and it was working. But then due to, I guess, uh, a publisher request uh, in, a, in a system software patch, it was disabled. Yeah. So PT was compatible initially on the review systems, and then 
the system was patched and then it became incompatible. Yeah. Uh, and and publisher request makes it sound like that was something Konami requested. So I was wondering if the OS that the console shipped with would allow it if I kept it offline and didn't update. Yeah. Uh, but unfortunately, this was not the case because uh, you are required to log in to your account in order to transfer content from your PS4 over to your PS5. Mm. And in order to log in, your system has to be up to date. So I was forced into updating. Yeah. And there was there was no way around it. So PT is DOA. So wait, is the only way to play that game still like on a base PS4? You couldn't even transfer it to a PS4 Pro? I have it on a Pro. Okay. You can transfer it to a Pro. I think it's, uh, what is it? As long as yeah. your, your account is like authorized to play it on the PlayStation 4, you can transfer it? You can, um, but the catch is that you can't download it anymore off of PSN without a weird workaround. Oh, right, that proxy workaround. I remember. Yeah, and I'm not even completely sure why that works, um, but I, uh, I had to re-download it at one point, and that worked for me, and I was able to copy it back to my PS4, and then when I got my Pro, um, I was able to flip that over, and it works just fine. Uh, so I'm I'm never getting rid Isn't of that. Isn't that just insane that how in like 2020 we're basically it's almost like you know old silent films where like if like the last copy burns, that's it, the game is gone, and there's no way yeah. to preserve this game. I mean, I have to you know, Devil's Advocate. I understand why Konami is like this because that is we t- we talked to Maxwell in a previous episode, and he sort of elaborated on this a bit, uh, where PT represents something that that it represents a product that doesn't exist that's that got canceled so it's it essentially is just a reminder that this product did not come out so you know hypothetically you could strip out all of the you know you could strip out norman reedus and the references to kojima and and del toro and strip out the the references to silent hills and just have it as like a standalone little horror title and that would probably fly but as is it's just this strange thing that represents a product that never came out. And, you know, it's, it's, it's little more to Konami than a reminder of something they weren't able to put out. So I kind of understand why they wouldn't want to keep it up to date and and accessible like that, but it would, uh, it's kind of out of their hands now. It's a part of, it's a part of gaming history. So I don't know, maybe, maybe someday it'll, they'll reconcile with it, but who knows? Sad. Sad. <laughs> did you did you ever have a chance to play PT? Uh no, because when it came out I didn't have a PS4. And then by the time I did get a PS4, it was too late. So Oh man. I have I have well, if- I, I well, well let me say that. I've played some of like the PC recreations of uh PT, but as far as I know, I don't think I actually have the story. I think it's just like, you know, you can walk in the room and you can like, you know, yeah. interact with stuff. That Unreal recreation of PT is pretty spot on though. Yeah. It's it's really impressive, and I guess the uh, the guy who made that was like a was he like nineteen years old, and he got an internship at Konami, something like yeah. that. Yeah, well, so, so good for him. Then that's good when stuff like that happens. So if uh, if my wife and I ever make it out to Japan, and I and I get a chance to visit, you, I'll bring I'll bring it down with me. <laughs> I can you'll bring actually. You'll, you'll bring the full PS4, and then just just so, just so I can play like this yeah. like one one two hour game. Is it how how long does it take? Is it just is it even two hours? Is it one hour? No, I mean you can get through it pretty quick. If you okay. don't if you don't know what you're doing, it might take you like, you know, a half hour to an hour. Okay. Um 
but if you know what you're doing, it's pretty quick. I don't know. I mean, how how difficult would that be to bring to the to Japan? No, not at all. I've Something taken like I've, I've taken consoles back and forth all the time. I actually, uh, I was in the states recently, and I brought my Dreamcast back here. So that's uh, definitely possible. Nice. I would say that's some of the easier things that I've traveled through TSA. I know you don't have to deal with TSA much, Oliver. Oh, I've been uh, I've traveled between here and uh, the states like at least like seven times at this point, like back and forth. So, uh, jeez. Yeah, you get used to it after a while, but uh, the worst is just all the transfers. Oh, oh, How yeah. Long is that flight anyway? Is that like like nine hours or something? Oh, uh, <laughs> so if you uh, put an all, all together, it takes over twenty four hours to get back to Pittsburgh from where I'm from 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 Kyoto. That includes oh my God. that includes like you know uh, getting to the airport by like uh, the by train, you know uh, layovers, you know uh, waiting and all that. It, it's a nightmare, but you know just worst keep yourself occupied. Worst jet lag ever. Oh, actually, well, because of jet lag, that's when I go to bed at normal time because I'm tired. That like you know I'm going to bed at like 10, 10 p.m. or nine p.m. when instead of as opposed to like three or four a.m. Also, it just loops over. It loops over, and so like, <laughs> and, and what happened now was like, so I'm, I came back like you know a few weeks ago, and so I'm sleeping at normal time. But now because I got so busy with like school stuff, I'm up till like two or three in the morning. So now it's like reset back to my old terrible schedule. So one of these days I'm gonna do it. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm getting old, and it's a lot harder. But but. Damn it, I'm going to do it. You know, everybody should visit once, I would say. Man, thank you for coming on. Uh, I've wanted to talk, actually have a conversation with you for such a long time, and I'm, I'm really, really glad you were, you were willing to come on and, and just chat for no, a bit. Anytime. Uh, yeah, always, man, thanks for coming on. You know. Yeah, so if people want to find you online, if they want to kind of see your work and what you're doing, where can they find uh, you? I think Twitter is probably the best. So it's uh, Oliver and then J-I-A-1014. That's my handle. But if also, if you look up my name, uh, it's the first result on Google too, for better or worse. So Got that <laughs> SEO unlocked. Yeah. All right, man. Thanks again for coming on. We appreciate yeah, it. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thanks, man. Have a good one. Pleasure being with you.